Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us for a brand new season of the Playsheet Podcast. We're back. I'm Charles, and with me, as always, is my good friend, Joe. Hello, everyone. New season, who dis? <laughs> new season, who dis? Absolutely. Season three, who thought that would make it? Not me. <laughs> <laughs> but here we are, and, well, what an off-season it's been, Joe. You know, we've taken a break from the podcast, but... The NFL machine keeps on turning and there's, I'd say there's been plenty to catch up on um, from stories over the summer. Uh, there's been a lot. NFL doesn't sleep. And there's probably been no bigger saga during the summer than Deshaun Watson. What have we got to say about this one, Charles? Oh, it's been tumultuous because I, I, I feel like we've been talking about Deshaun Watson for like forever. This story has been lingering. I know when it first broke, we were very much saying you know look we don't like to judge until all the facts are out it has been a summer of fact revealing that's for sure <laughs> open the curtains yeah. open the curtains into the, the masseuse's room <laughs> yeah exactly that um some very unpleasant reading so then really the situation has been what is going to be the result of this? You know, a lot of these criminal cases have been dropped. What's going to happen through the, the kind of court and judicial system is still unknown at this stage, but it looks like it, it's not going to be a, a terrible amount. So then really all eyes have been on the NFL in terms of, all right, guys, how do you want your league image to appear? How are you going to respond Okay, there might not be, you know, kind of criminal cases, uh, you know, still alive and kicking for this, but what precedent are you going to set? It started with a six-game ban. Um, quickly, the NFL appealed that, and they settled on an 11-game ban, which Deshaun Mopson was happy to accept. Well, so, yes, yeah, so there's a few things to unpack here. First of all, the original six-game ban, that came from an independent arbitrator called Federal Judge Sue L. Robinson. It's like, it, it's always Sue's, really, isn't it? Sue Robinson, Sue Gray. If there's, you know, <laughs> someone independent who you need to investigate, you better call a Sue. But Sue Robinson, in her wisdom, somehow thought that six weeks was appropriate as a suspension for the crimes misdemeanors, whatever you want to call it, that Deshaun Watson's done. Now, six weeks, I think, by most people's reckoning, is crazy. When you can get banned for a season for betting on your own team, I think that Deshaun Watson has brought the league into a whole lot more of disrepute. So, Goodell, he obviously appealed that. It's 11 weeks. I think, personally, that's still very soft, but everyone seems to just be happy to kind of walk away and leave it as that. 11 weeks, though. 11 weeks he's going to be out for. In 11 weeks, the Browns could be well out of playoff contention. This could be a wasted year. And you're paying this guy $46 million a year, let's not forget. He's on $230 million guaranteed over five years. That averages out $46 million a year. I mean, that's a lot of money. That makes Kirk Cousins' pay from a couple of years ago look like chump change. The Browns have gone all in. And to be honest, unless Deshaun Watson brings Super Bowls to Cleveland... Uh, I think this will go down as a very bad piece of work and a terrible piece of judgment. Yeah, so, I, I mean, you you talked about the 11 weeks there. Tinfoil hat time. The 11 weeks seems just uh, beautifully poised to cause as little friction as possible. It, it's the week in which 
Deshaun Watson will be back for the game against the Texans. How incredibly fitting for TV ratings. Also, it's the exact time period that if it was one week longer suspension, then his contract would have been voided for that year. It would have told, basically. Um, but he now gets his full guaranteed contract terms because he's only missed 11 weeks. But I think that's bad for the Browns. That's bad for the Browns because you're because you're basically, you've got this guy who's going to have a year told from his contract. He's going to be eligible for most of that 46 million because the way the contract works, he's not getting paid by the week. It's signing bonuses and that kind of things. So he's going to get paid. He's going to get his year. And this is a year where they're basically not going to have their... Uh, a massively overpaid quarterback starting for two thirds of it. So it's a wasted year, really, where all that cap space and salary is going to that player. It's bad for the Browns, but for the man that's allegedly or has committed what he's committed, that is not a great look. If we're talking, let's show what we're made of, let's show some kind of disciplinary action here. He gets to sit out for 11 weeks. It's not really that harsh a punishment for him um, in terms of the precedent that the league wants to set. Um, but I think moving on to your to your point about how this looks for the Browns in terms of uh, a deal and their future, I have to agree with you. It, the thing that seemed so odd for me was last year seemed to be the first year that the Browns were really making traction and they have been a gutter team for so long in the NFL now. The, suddenly the fans get a bit of light and a bit of hope and you're tracking in the right direction and for whatever reason the team are going well let's rip it all up and start again yeah and and bear in mind here you've got Patrick Mahomes who uh, most people would agree is the best if not one of the top three quarterbacks in the league who's played at a high standard every year he's been in the league he's on 450 million over 10 years he's on 45 million a year Deshaun Watson is getting paid more than Patrick Mahomes over the next five years. <laughs> You've got to deliver. And don't get me wrong, this is a guy who's not played football for a year already. By the time it rolls around and his suspension is up, that's almost two years of not playing competitive football. Now, you can look as good as you like on the practice field, but there's a difference when you've got, you know, 270 pounds of TJ Watt running up your grill. It's totally, totally different. I think this is bad business. I think it... It goes against the team building, like you say, that the Browns have been doing. The team seems weaker this year than it was last year. It's just all a mess. And when you do things like this and get in Deshaun Watson... Now, we always say that we don't judge someone until they've been proven guilty. That's the kind of mantra we have and that's what we kind of roll with. But let's not forget that Deshaun Watson paid people off so that he wouldn't have to go to a court. So when that happens, I think you have to kind of make your own judgments a little bit. If one quarter of it is true, he shouldn't really be allowed anywhere near as high-profile role as being quarterback for an NFL football team. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think this does to team chemistry then? Because we've also spoken at the time that this broke, as you mentioned, quarterback, very much a leadership role. You've got to be in charge of the locker room with, with that kind of position. And when you're looking to give that rallying cry and you've got something kind of shady in the sheets there, is that going to be an issue when it comes to crunch time? Are people going to look up to Deshaun Watson? Or do you think there there is going to be some resentment and maybe a lack of, yeah, I'm going to leave it all on the field for this guy? I think it's a powder keg, really. And we said last year that, there's, that rightly or wrongly, there are differing 
differing crimes in the eyes of most males. If you do something violent against a man and you get done for it, then you know that's a different crime to being violent towards a woman or being sexually abusive towards a woman. Being a sexual abuser, that's that's pretty low in the scale of criminals, if that kind of makes sense. It's not a good look at all. Unfortunately, winning is also extremely important in the eyes of professional athletes. But I think what this creates is a power kick. I think for the first few weeks, if things are going to plan, if they're winning games, then blind eyes will get turned and no one will say anything. I think when the season starts to go bad, when Deshaun Watson's throwing interceptions, when he wants to have a go at his wide receivers or when he wants to get things off his chest, it's the first person to turn around and say, well, at least I'm not a sexual abuser. And that will happen at some point. And that will happen at some point. And when that is out of the box, it can't go back in. And so I think it's just a powder keg waiting to erupt when these first arguments happen, which they inevitably will because they happen in every sports team. Yeah. So before we move on to take a look at uh, some of the action that's been happening in the preseason then, Joe, let's talk briefly about something that's particularly relevant to the UK market but kind of more outside of America. We've got our first German game coming up this season. We've also got Green Bay Packers coming to London for the first time ever in NFL history, um, which is a big coup for me as a Green Bay fan. But it's caused a little bit of strain, I think, for the kind of ticket sales situation that was going on um, in terms of season tickets uh, at Tottenham and, and for other fans who like to go every year. It's been a bit of bedlam, hasn't it? Yeah, it's almost a perfect storm really in the interest that we have in the NFL in Europe right now. I know we had games in London last year but we had COVID the year before that so there's still a bit of a pent-up demand there with the off year we had in 2020. Green Bay like you said the first year that we've come over they're the last team I believe who haven't played in London so uh, there's a lot of Green Bay fans who've been waiting a very long time to go to this game but they're also a high profile team. It's Aaron Rodgers. A lot of people want to be there and see that. So you've got that demand there. Tied into that, it's the first game in Germany. I believe that there were something like 600,000 people who were on the ticket site when tickets went on sale for the Munich game. Like We talked about it and we considered kind of going out there, but it was almost irrelevant and pointless trying from the UK, uh, navigating all of that. Just wasn't going to happen. So you've also got uh, all the Europeans who basically couldn't get tickets to that game who are also interested in getting to a Green Bay game. What it has meant, it meant that there's a lot of Vikings tickets on the secondary market because people who wanted season tickets have gone and bought season tickets for both games just so they can go to the Green Bay game and then are trying to offload Vikings tickets. So yay if you're a Vikings or a Saints fan, but I do have sympathy for a lot of Green Bay fans who are out there who you probably won't begin to go and see the game. You've got your ticket though, Charles? Yeah, absolutely. Solo ticket. It's all I could manage, but I'm in. I'm going to see, well, I say I'm going to see Aaron Rodgers. Who knows what happens come come London time. But uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Wouldn't it be an anticlimax if he gets injured for the London game? Uh, and honestly, you just sort of never know with Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, the, the probably best chance you have of seeing the Packers is probably once every couple of seasons that they visit FedEx Field because you're not going to see them at Lambeau with the weights for tickets there. That's not going to happen. Chances are you're probably not going to see them in the UK because everyone wanted that ticket. But FedEx Field, it's the least attended game in all of football. Has got the most expensive beer though. Just what a terrible place. And if you're lucky as well, you'll get poo water dropped on your head. Let's then move on to talk about preseason and 
some of the stories that are coming out of that, some of the action we've already seen. Why don't we start with the cut block on Kayvon Thibodeau? Uh, Now, to begin with, initially, it looked very scary, and we weren't sure how long he was going to be out, and it looked like the Giants' curse was striking again. Now, as the story's evolved, it looks like he's not going to be out for too long. Um, But do you want to talk about that tackle at all? Three to four weeks, probably, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I want to talk about the tackle, but I want to talk about the reaction to it as well, because... It was interesting when you had people like Rich Eisen coming out saying there should be a penalty, a hefty fine, and a suspension for Thaddeus Moss, the tight end of the Bengals who did the cut block that resulted in the injury. First off, just so there's absolutely no doubt whatsoever here, what Thaddeus Moss did was totally, totally legal. He didn't do anything illegal whatsoever. This is a guy who's a second-year pro, is fighting for a place on a 53-man roster, and to put Additional context to it as well. In last week's preseason game, he gave up, I think, gains of 63 yards and 8 yards, over 70 yards in total on holding penalties. So this is someone who performed badly last week with his blocks and was really under the kind of public eye. When people like Rich Eisen are coming out and saying there should be a penalty, a hefty fine and suspension, for what? Uh, I think it shows the state of the kind of talking head and commentator kind of field there. When someone as, you know, respected as Rich Eisen is coming out saying that, uh, it, it beggars belief. People might say that there's, you know, there's ethical reasons for Moss to not do what he did because cut blocks can result in a higher likelihood of injury. But if we want to talk about, you know, ethical, Deshaun Watson's going to be playing football in 12 weeks' time. So uh, there's, there's bigger kind of ethical problems to talk about. So for people who haven't seen it, a cut block is basically a block that happens below the hip. And when you're going below the hip, chances are you're going to come somewhere around the knees. Helmet, pads going into someone's knees, as you'd expect, it could possibly end in an injury because knees are supposed to only go one way. It's a very tight list of rules that happen on cut blocks. First of all, it has to happen in a tight end zone. And and I, th- I feel I explained this last year at some point on the pod. So if you remember me doing that, sorry for the repetition. But basically, the tight end kind of uh, block of the zone is basically two yards out from the end of the line and five yards in front and behind the line. That means it's, it's a small area of a field where you can actually do this block. It has to be in front of the opposing player. So you can't do it in the legs from behind. That's clipping. That's a 15-yard penalty. When people do cut blocks, it's basically your responsibility as a player who's receiving the cut block to adjust and to brace yourself for that impact. And that's what Thibodeau didn't do. Moss telegraphed this. You could see this block coming from a long way out. He he almost kind of fainted it once and then did it again. Thibodeau should have adjusted. He should have pulled his legs back and grabbed the back of the pads of Moss. That's, that's what he should have done. He didn't do it. And to be honest, he's been lucky because it could have been worse, but that's how it is. Now, you can't blame Moss for this. You can say that a couple of shouldn't be allowed, ah, but then good luck someone you know of Moss's size trying to stop a player of Thibodeau's side. If you stop cut blocks, then you have to change how the game is being played. It is what it is, and also people have been calling this a chop block. It's not a chop block. A chop block is when a player is already engaged with a tackler, and then someone else comes in and block. That, again, isn't illegal play. That's a 15-yard penalty. It's not a chop block. It's a cut block. Um... So there's a lot of misinformation that's going out there. I, like, Charles, I guess what I'm saying with this is don't always believe what commentators, pundits say because when someone like Rich Eisen can be so wrong as he was at the start of this week, watch things with your own eyes and come to your own conclusions about things. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think you've eloquently 
stated that position there, nothing illegal in it. You may not like that those blocks exist, but until the NFL and the owners agree to outlaw them, then you can't knock a guy for doing everything he can to prove that he is a valuable player and should make the team. Yeah. And Charles, if you're a 220-pound tight end, how are you going to stop a 280-pound defensive end rushing in? You've got to go low. If you stand up and try to go mano a mano, chest to chest, like, I mean, you're going to get hurt. So it's just how the game's played. But the game's been played this way for 100 years. The rules on cut blocks have been cut right down to make the kind of requirements for them so small, which is why you can only do it in the tight end tackle box, why you can only do it you know in front of a player it's 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 always things that have tried to make it as safe as possible there comes a point i think really where you've got to put your safety in your own hand and that's what thibodeau didn't do on the field uh, on saturday night yeah so talking then about uh positional battles and trying to earn your place in the team why don't we take a little look at some of the training camp news and some of the battles that are going on there at the moment i think for me personally, one of the most interesting battles in training camp at the moment is between Baker Mayfield and Darnold and the starter at the Panthers there. From the kind of news that we're getting out of camp, it feels very much, well, Mayfield has been touted as being the QB1 for week one. It's confirmed now. He is the starter. So do you see that being a permanent position then or bakers to lose or do you think that's just week one because they're playing cleveland no i think it's bakers to lose i i don't think that anything's permanent you know if he goes on a bad run he he plays badly well then you've got someone who has been a starter through most of his career ready to step in um but i don't think there should be any shocks with this really baker mayfield i feel in the second half of last season, was treated badly. I think that a lot of unfair stuff was said by ex-players. I'm looking at you, OBJ. Um, I think that the team reacted in an illogical way in how they behaved to bring in Deshaun Watson. We've been through that. Baker Mayfield, he's not a top 10 quarterback. No one's claiming that he is. But I think that he's a passable starter when he has an offensive line in front of him doing their job, which is the case for a lot of quarterbacks. It's the case for Kirk Cousins. It's the case for Derek Carr. It's the case for all these guys. If their line is doing the job, they can perform well. And I think that's what you'll get with Baker Mayfield. And I think that he's more consistent and more game-savvy than someone like Sam Darnold is. So no surprise that he's starting there. How far do you think this team can go with Mayfield, Charles? So I have held on to Baker Mayfield for quite a long period of time in fantasy football. I suffered through the tough years one and two before sort of dropping in partway in year three, I believe. But look, I, I kind of agree with that assessment. I think he is a solid quarterback when the, he's in a team that kind of supports him. Um, I think I test from these two players and how they've performed over the years. I would be prepared to put more trust in Mayfield than I would Donald. How far do I think the Panthers can go with him? Uh, I'm I'm just not convinced that the Panthers' issue is quarterback alone, personally. Um, who was in last season? Teddy Bridgewater? It was a few people. You had Teddy Bridgewater in. I think you had Cam Newton starting a couple of games. Yeah, I mean, again, you know, not, not bad quarterbacks. I don't think Mayfield is necessarily as big an upgrade on those guys um, that's going to kind of get them over the line and, and heading in the right direction of playoffs. I think there's still other issues that they haven't yet addressed for me personally. 
Okay, interesting, interesting. But I mean, you know, they've brought some uh, players in in the off season. You've got Xavier Woods at strong safety now. You know, great young players last year like Jeremy Chin is getting more established. JC Horn should have a really good chance to shine this year. I mean, that's the secondary there. And then you've got people like Derek Brown in the defensive line, Brian Burns. I think, I think when it clicks for them, it will click. What concerns me is more the offensive line for them. We said how Baker Mayfield needs a line in front of them. Uh, they've got people like Pat Elfline starting at, se- at our center. Uh, Pat Elfline didn't make a very bad Vikings line, and he's going to be shoring up that line for the Panthers. I think that if the line clicks and if a line plays to an average standard, this is a team I think that could challenge the playoffs. If it doesn't, though, it's going to get ugly for Mayfield, Donald, whoever they put on the center. Yeah. So let's take a look at Seattle then, the Seahawks. No more Wilson. So it looks like Drew Locke is leading the charge there. Looks like Drew Locke is, which is admirable, really. He's come in there, hasn't had a long time to learn the playbook, but it seems that he's already usurped Geno Smith, who, I mean, was starting games last year when uh, Wilson was injured. What was it? A hand injury that he had, finger injury. So Geno Smith has that experience with the team, but Drew Locke's come in and done a better job. Uh, Fair play to Drew Locke. I mean, he was always one of those kind of Marmite quarterbacks where he had his admirers, had his detractors. Uh, let's see how a change of scenery kind of works for him. It's going to be very interesting to see the Seahawks without Russell Wilson under centre. Yeah, because I feel like it, it's funny. We just talked about the Panthers and how they have not, in recent years, had a kind of quarterback that can save them, not since Cam. And uh, Drew Locke, Seattle has relied very heavily on Russell Wilson in the last number of years. Their defence has been quite poor. Their O-line has been particularly uh, riddled with holes at times. And Wilson has put that team on his shoulders at certain times. And Drew Locke, from certainly his time at the Broncos, hasn't shown me that he has the capability to do that. It'll be really interesting to see what he does do at Seattle because I'm, I'm worried that if there are still deficiencies in that team... Uh, they might have a really hard sort of coming down to earth without having Wilson there to kind of bail them out. Yeah, I totally agree with you. It's a great point. It sounds a funny thing to say, and I didn't find myself kind of saying this, but you almost thought I'd be better off with a quarterback like Mariota, Tyra Taylor, someone who'll try to put the game on his shoulders a little bit more than how Locke plays. Locke plays very much more in a kind of classic vein. Uh, Like you say, we've never really seen him put a game on his shoulders and really bust the team through to a W. So, yeah, it would be very interesting uh, how that plays out. But I think that Seattle, uh, we could see them in the wilderness for a couple of years. Talking about that then, let's move on to a team who we actually did think would be in the wilderness uh, for a while in the Saints. After Breeze left, there was very much this feeling of they had a massive wage bill. They had to cut a lot of players. They lost their star quarterback. Thomas was injured, Kamara had issues. It was very much a, this team is surely going to crumble. And lo and behold, they performed, well, certainly in my opinion, a lot better than I expected them to do last season. Now, you think that maybe then there's something there for them to build on this season, especially because the news seems to appear that it's looking less and less likely that any disciplinary action is going to come against Alvin Kamara this season at least. And then you go and get another Michael Thomas hamstring injury. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, is this guy ever going to play 
uh, at the standard that he once did. You know, those first three seasons, we'll always have those first three seasons, but when a player's been injured this long with the type of injuries that he's had, does he come back from his trials or is he or is he always going to be uh, slightly weaker or considerably weaker? Yeah, it's, it's hard to say, you know, because even I, I feel like hamstring injury it's one of those injuries that it can re-aggravate quite easily or certainly a lot more easier once you've you've niggled it once or twice or several times as Thomas has but it also doesn't feel like one of those ACL injuries or or something that's going to massively hamper his ability to play when he is fit I think the issue is just going to be how often can he remain fit but the world's changed since he was playing, you know, those first three seasons. Those first three seasons, he was a target hoover, vacuuming up everything that Breeze was throwing, you know, set for record, uh, I think, for targets in a season. He doesn't have that now with Breeze gone. Like, I'm not saying that Jameis isn't going to throw the ball to him as much, but Jameis is a very different player, plays the game a different way. Is Thomas going to be as effective in this Saints team without Breeze around him? Yeah, I mean, the quarterback certainly is a factor in this scenario, and... Uh... I mean, I've always known Jameis Winston as a bit of a turnover machine. He's certainly prone to an interception or two. I thought he cleaned up his act a little bit last season. And if that kind of maturity is coming into his game, I think there's opportunity there for Thomas. But yes, will he go back to the lightning, you know, first couple of seasons that he had in the league? Potentially not. As you mentioned, a lot of teams have changed their situations, uh, the way that even the Saints play is, is different from how they played several years ago. I still think there's plenty of value in Michael Thomas personally. I still think we'll see him hopefully performing at a top level this season. But yes, I, d- I wouldn't expect him to be hitting the numbers that he hit in his first couple of seasons in the league. Okay, and let's and let's finish things up. We're a week out on uh, recording. We record on a Tuesday, as people may know. We're a week out today from Cuts Day, and Cuts Day, as some of our listeners might know, is a um, it's like a holiday for me in terms of one of the kind of triumvirate of important holidays during the football calendar. You've got your draft day, you've got Thanksgiving Day, you've got the football on Christmas Day. You've got all of these things, and I think Cuts Day is just as important. It's a crazy day when players who you thought were secure, big names, suddenly don't have a team to play for anymore. Uh, we're not hearing too many rumours about big name players who could be cut. Probably the biggest name out there, Charles, is Kenyon Drake. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, do you know what? I was just about to say that was a surprise for me. I, I, I think I stand by that. It was a surprise for me. He didn't perform particularly impressive with the Raiders last season when he was there. Um, but I certainly didn't think I'd see him on the cutting room floor. It's interesting. I've always thought that Kenyon Drake is a player who just has not had as many touches through his career as he should have had. And I'm not sure why that is. There's probably more to it than I'm aware of. There's stuff going on in training camp. You don't know. But if you look at his average yards per touch, average yards per ball thrown to him, he he makes plays. And he's always he's always got a big breakout playing him. Very interesting how his career has gone. You know his time his time at the Dolphins, Cardinals, uh, Raiders. Now uh, interesting to see where he ends up. I'm sure there'll be a team who will be looking to pick him up if he does get cut. But let's see what happens there. Yeah, because this is the thing. I think he showed real flashes of promise with the Dolphins. I, I mean, when but again, you're absolutely right. He seemingly didn't get the number of touches that you'd have thought somebody performing um, 
you know, he only had the opportunity to show flashes, but when he had that opportunity, he did flash. And so I expected him to be taking a bigger role with the Dolphins. That never transpired. He went to the Cardinals. You're suddenly thinking, finally, he's going to go to a team where they're going to give him those chances, those opportunities. He still didn't really get, you know, like an RB1 number of touches with the Cardinals. There was quite a bit of split in that backfield there. And then he moves on to the Raiders, another team where he's not the lead running back, where he didn't have the opportunity to shine as much. I feel that he's never looked as good as he did at the Dolphins. But as to why that is, I have no idea. And it it does seem a little bit strange that he's never been given a bigger opportunity than any of those three coaches have ever given him. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe he'll get picked up by a team, there'll be an injury, suddenly he's thrust into a spotlight, and maybe he'll play very average and show us why he never had all his touches. Who knows? Let's see what happens. We're talking about Kenyon Drake there, but maybe an even bigger name who could be cut if things transpire by the end of next week is Jimmy Garoppolo. Just for listeners who aren't aware, basically Jimmy Garoppolo is on a contract where if he's cut... Uh, before the end of next week, he will uh, save the 49ers $25.5 million in cap space. And they'll only be stung with $1.4 million of dead money if he's cut. If he's on the roster after cut day, then that's uh, a hell load of cap space that he's going to consume. And I don't think the San Francisco 49ers want to do that when they're going with Trey Lance this year. The 49ers will be desperately trying to find a trade partner between now and Tuesday. But I believe that if they don't find someone to trade with, he is he is on the cutting room floor. So then, who's their backup quarterback? Nate Sudfeld? Yeah, because they traded uh, Mullins to the Vikings this week. Right. So, I mean, that feels like a risky move to me. I think there's only so many years where you can have Jimmy G being paid the contract that he was on when he's not going to be a starter. And I mean, last year, there was questions about whether Trey Lance was ready. Ultimately, they went with Jimmy G for most of the season. But it could have been that Jimmy G was warming the bench for $25 million a year last year. This year, that would be the case. They definitely are going with Trey Lance. You can't pay $26, $27 million to a quarterback. It's just going to sit on wood for the whole season. You just can't. But it's crazy about a quarterback like Jimmy G, who is a better starter than you'd probably say at least uh, seven or eight teams out there, at least. And that's been unfair to him. will be a free agent very shortly. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's funny how the NFL works like that sometimes, where it's not sometimes it's not necessarily just about having the talent. Certain things have to align and finances plays a major factor in the success of these teams. And if the 49ers need to make that cut so that they can remain flexible with with the money they have and, and make pickups throughout the season if they have to or be in a better position for next season, then they'll lose a solid backup talent in Jimmy G um, just so they can remain financially flexible and and in play to very tidily wrap this episode up and loop things all back to the start you'd think that maybe there's a team who's not going to have their starter for the first 11 games of the season might be looking (laughs) for a uh might be looking for a solid veteran who can lead a team to the playoffs to keep them on the you know on the right line for the first 11 games of the season just throwing it out there but if they're if the san francisco 49ers were looking for a trade partner maybe they shouldn't look much further than the browns what do the Browns have to give? They sold the farm to get Watson. <laughs> it's true. But I don't think a player like Jimmy G now would go for a high trade price because basically the 49ers have to cut him on Tuesday if they don't find a trade partner. 
So they don't really hold the leverage in this one. Listen, if, you, if you're talking yin and yang, it kind of feels like there isn't a more wholesome quarterback out there than Jimmy G. I mean, he'd be the perfect pairing for Deshaun Watson. <laughs> maybe he could show Deshaun Watson uh, <laughs> a, a few quarterback skills that maybe aren't directly linked to the field. <laughs> yeah, Jimmy G doesn't have to go to masseuses. Not someone as handsome <laughs> as Jimmy G. <laughs> this is so true. So, Joe, it's great to be back. I, I kind of feel like I say that every time we're back, but... Listen, we're, we're obsessed with NFL. We love it. We love chatting about it. So this is the perfect platform for us to basically have a rant. And if you enjoy listening to that, fantastic. Absolutely. And we've got another week of preseason chat. And next week, we'll be previewing a couple of teams. But if there's anything that anyone would like us to talk about, any topics you'd like us to pick up, then get in touch and let us know. Absolutely. And uh, just a little notice that moving forward, we're going to be releasing this podcast on a Wednesday now rather than a Thursday, just to get some of that information to you a little bit sooner uh, ahead of any Thursday night football. So, Joe, until next week. Until next week, Charles.